Good evening, everyone. Wamin Jika, and welcome to M Pavilion. My name is Natalie King. I'm Creative Associate at M Pavilion. We acknowledge the Bunwarung as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and pay our respects to their ancestors and elders, past, present and into the future. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for the launch of two issues of Art Monthly Australia, the October and November issue. We are also here to celebrate a very special alliance between Art Monthly Australia and N Pavilion for our inaugural Writers' Award. We set up um, an open call and received uh, many submissions for uh, in-depth essays at the intersection of art and design. And we're really thrilled to give this award and publish a detailed uh, feature essay by Dr. Julia Jones, who is here this evening and featuring the work of a number of artists, including Lauren Berkowitz, who is also here. I'd now like to introduce my colleague, Michael Fitzgerald, who is the editor of Art Monthly Australia and who will be known to many of you as the former editor of Photophile and Art in Australia and a very um, highly published author. Oh, thank you, Natalie. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here under Amanda Levette's inspiring petals for this special occasion tonight. In the spirit of interdisciplinary practice, we're here to celebrate and combine two distinct things, the launch of the inaugural M Pavilion Art Monthly Writing Award and Art Monthly's November issue. This year, we initiated, initiated an award to nurture writing across art and design, and it's hard to think of a better platform than M Pavilion, along with the National Association for the Visual Arts, and Art Monthly would like to thank Naomi Milgram, Robert Buckingham, Natalie King, Tamara Winnikoff, and Penelope Benton for all their encouragement and support. We were overwhelmed actually by the response from writers from the submission and after a lively Skype meeting back in July, I think it was, we arrived at tonight's very worthy winner, Dr. Um, Dr. Julie Jones, whose winning essay was published in Art Monthly's October issue, which is available over there for you to have a look at and please take away. And as serendipity has it, tonight's launch also coincides with our November issue um, issues publication. So before I hand the microphone over to Julia, um, who will be uh, reading from her essay, I'd encourage you all to pick up a copy tonight. Uh, while Art Monthly has been Australia's art magazine of record since 1987, uh, in t um, actually, in October, just in time for Julia's essay, we underwent a redesign and new look. So we hope you enjoy the fruits of our joint efforts. And um, it's my pleasure now to hand things over to Julia. Mm. Okay. So is this one or go to that one? Yep. Okay. Thanks very much, Michael. Um, I'd just like to firstly thank uh, M Pavilion, Art Monthly and NAVA for the writing award. Um, it's fantastic to receive this award and to have awards like this that create opportunities for exploring new ideas in writing. Um, I was able to explore a long-term interest of mine, um, which is the relationship between art, design and gardening. 
and also was able to liaise with a range of artists, including Lauren Berkowitz, and put their works side by side and, and make some connections and discover some connections between them. Um, I really appreciated working with Michael um, in the editing process, which was fantastic, so thank you, Michael. Um, and thank you all very much for coming tonight. So I'm going to read a slightly abridged version of the essay um, to leave you something to still discover and um, also to, to allow some time for my discussion with Lauren about her work. Okay, so I'll just give you this um, abridged version of, of the essay that you'll find in the October edition of Art Monthly. The essay is titled, A Growing Medium, The Garden in Art and Design. Trees tell stories, art grows on trees, plants merge with architecture, the artist forages for weeds, the garden catalyzes culture. The garden operates as a powerful growing medium within contemporary culture. In this essay, I investigate the Australian field of interdisciplinary practice within art and design, in which contemporary garden practices and concepts play a pivotal and integrated role. When these art and design projects engage closely with the medium of the garden, they provide inspirational and tangible models and sites for reflection in an era of environmental change and fragility. My investigation features a diverse range of contemporary projects, including those of Lauren Berkowitz, Diego Benetto, Emily Floyd, Simran Gill, Janet Lawrence and Amanda Levette. These projects intersect with the innovative experimental approaches found in gardening practices today, ranging from environmental regeneration and sustainability to the creation of sites for healing, sanctuary and cultural symbolism. The, project examined, um, the projects examined in my essay can be considered in relation to a concept from ecological cultural theory, the post-pastoral, and this was defined by Terry Gifford in 1999. It's a concept that originated from the field of literature and this concept explores an integrated vision of the relationship between humans and the natural world, an approach shared by the garden. The post-pastoral eschews a divisive binary between an idealised, relatively unmodified nature and an artificial culture, which is found in the pastoral convention. Gifford defined six post-pastoral qualities, which he suggests could be expanded or reduced, and which he envisages could exist in various combinations through post-pastoral forms. So these qualities can be summarised as, or in attention to the natural world, the recognition of a creative destructive universe, the recognition of the independence between inner and external nature, an awareness of the interchangeability of nature and culture, a link between consciousness and conscience, and the linking of social and environmental exploitation. So in my examination of the projects in this essay, I consider how they relate to various qualities of the post-pastoral to demonstrate their link to its integrated vision. So Sydney artist Janet Lawrence's art project epitomised the blending of nature and culture inherent to the post-pastoral, including her 2014 to 16 project, Tree Lines Track, at Bundanon in New South Wales. And this embodies a large scale garden. It's a walking track of trees. And this track is designed to connect different zones at the Bundanon site. The bushland, the farmland, the homestead garden, and a newly regenerated zone. 
It draws attention to contemporary practices of environmental renewal and healing, including land care activities at the site. The trees tell a story about the landscape, some accompanied by stories by stones inscribed with text, featuring poems and prose written about or at Bundanon. Sydney artist Diego Benetto creates projects designed to bring our attention to edible and medicinal properties of plants. Benetto is a performer and his Sydney weed foraging tours are a form of meandering and lively storytelling. Benetto designs art projects that draw us into the gallery and then out again to encounter plants. One example is his project Five Terrariums, Five Tours and a World of Facebook Friends from 2010. And this was exhibited as part of the In the Balance Art for a Changing World exhibition at Sydney's Museum of Contemporary Art. So Bonetto placed five terrariums, each containing soil from one of five Sydney parks, into the museum. And these flourished into tiny weed gardens. Like small green portals to the outside world, the weed seedlings beckoned viewers out towards weed foraging tours led by the artist in each of the five parks. And Bonetto also created a tongue-in-cheek weed book page in which various weeds could be befriended. And as Rachel Kent observed, this project was a playful meditation on the concept of social networking and the equally rhizomatic nature of spontaneous flora. And this rhizomatic quality is a design feature found throughout Bonetto's projects, and it resonates with a post-pastoral interchangeability between nature and culture. And Melbourne artist Lauren Berkowitz has brought living gardens into the gallery in installations such as Manor in 2009, Sustenance in 2010, and Physics Garden in 2013 to 14 to draw attention to the revived movement towards growing edible and medicinal plants at home. This follows the earlier popularity of domestic victory gardens during the Second World War, and it relates to contemporary gardening practices today, in which kitchen gardens are emerging widely, including on verges and in community parks. Berkowitz's indoor kitchen gardens are presented in recycled plastic pots bottles and containers, reflecting contemporary approaches to sustainability. These gardens suggest new possibilities for the viewer. Manor, for example, featured a diversity of plants inside Melbourne's La Trobe University Museum of Art, which offered the viewer a course of action, as Alana O'Brien observed at the time. From tomatoes to ruby saltbush, um, Lauren Mingled introduced species with indigenous plants in an installation that suggests post-pastoral qualities through its fusion of nature and culture and its elements of environmental conscience. And Lauren's indoor gardens also focus attention on the contemporary gardening practice of cultivating bush tucker plants. And we could see this with um, Karuk Karuk's garden at the Heidi Museum of, of, Art, of Modern Art in Melbourne. And this features edible plants used in traditional indigenous culture. And we'll talk about some of these projects a little bit later. Okay, um, so outdoor natural elements have informed the development of London architect Amanda Levette's design for the 2015 M Pavilion, installed here in Melbourne's Queen Victoria Gardens. So this pavilion, as we can see, features a sculptural forest canopy roof that responds to the changeable weather moving with the wind, providing shelter from the rain and creating shade in summer. 
Its openness to the garden environment makes the experience of the pavilion an inherently post-pastoral one, a mingling of culture and nature. It creates an imaginative space that could ideally be used for storytelling, as Levette has suggested. Performative spaces such as M Pavilion, where stories can be told and conversations held in an outdoor sanctuary, encourage us to both consider and enact closer connections to the garden environment. Gardens are becoming increasingly active rather than passive contributors to our cultural experiences. Sydney and Port Dixon artist Simran Gill's site-specific exhibition called Here Art Grows on Trees in the Australian Pavilion in the 2013 Venice Biennale facilitated connections between the indoors and outdoors through an architectural intervention. Gill arranged to have the roof partially removed to open up the exhibition space to the outdoor elements of the Giardini site. Inside the pavilion were Gill's collage drawings and sculptures, along with photographs featuring open-cut mines in Australia. As the leaves and the rain blew in um, to the pavilion over time, these materials from the garden subtly shifted the dynamics of the exhibition in a metaphorical way, contributing to entropy in the work. Nature and culture are presented as a continuum, a feature that can be related to the integrated vision of the post-pastoral concept. And another example of this continuum can be seen in her photographic series, Forest, featuring plants subtly fused with photographic text, with printed text, sorry. Okay, and a work which engages with the garden to symbolise and facilitate public engagement with social issues has been Melbourne artist Emily Floyd's 2015 Venice Biennale installation, which is currently in Venice, uh, called Labour Garden. And this work takes viewers out into the walled Giardino della Vergini, a pocket of lawn and trees located at the end of the Arsenal site. Installed in the garden, its large colourful forms double as seats and bookshelves containing booklets created by Floyd that were designed to raise awareness of the use of free labour in many working contexts. Through the work, Floyd has provided a forum for critical thinking about social issues in a public outdoor realm, which connects the garden to the sense of conscience inherent to the post-pastoral concept. The garden becomes integrated with, rather than separate to, human activities, as we see here at M Pavilion. So finally, as these examples have demonstrated, when art and design projects engage closely with the garden, there is the potential to create powerful statements regarding our relationship with the natural environment. These projects share in common their integration of human culture within the natural world in keeping with the post-pastoral concept. And yet they demonstrate this idea in multifarious ways. They use the medium of the garden for a variety of purposes, including environmental regeneration, illuminating plants' edible and medicinal uses, presenting models of garden making and sustainability, creating an aesthetic sanctuary for cultural activities, illuminating a continuum between nature and culture, and as a metaphorical framework for the discussion of social, cultural and environmental issues. So within the abundant forms of the garden, we find a rich and varied growing medium for catalyzing new ideas. Thank you.
Okay, <laughs> so now um, we're very lucky that Lauren has come along tonight. So thank you very much, Lauren. And um, I'm just going to ask Lauren a few questions about her work um, and how it, it's come to be and how she's come to work with this medium of the garden. Um, so Lauren, firstly, how did you come to work on projects involving living plants and gardening practices? Um, well, I was just thinking my first um, outdoor installation was, I think in 1990, back at Realities Gallery um, in Turak Village. And I created a work um, in a little courtyard garden where I covered um, a small area, it was probably half the size of this pavilion with um, eucalyptus leaves. And um, what I was interested in doing was um, drawing attention to what was once in that space. Um, the garden was actually um, an Asian-inspired um, garden and, um, and uh, there were a lot of ferns as well. And I wanted to draw the spectators' attention to the fact um, that it was, it, it was a... Um, uh, they were all introduced species um, and it was um, very much an artificial construct. So um, basically the, the garden I had created on top of the existing garden um, was very much about um, smell in a sense because you only became aware of this work through walking on it and actually smelling the eucalyptus leaves. Um, and. Uh, it's interesting, um, recently um, I created another work which harked back to that, that piece um, out at uh, La Trobe Regional Gallery where I created a room made entirely out of indigenous eucalyptus leaves um, collected from the region and that work again was very much about um, smell and, and a sensory experience of the past. Um, so that, that that work, I think, was quite seminal in terms of my practice and, um, you know, leads up to, you know, more recent kind of works. Um, after the 1990s, uh, that, that initial work, um, I, I was living in New York City and I made... Um, I, I was interested in kind of becoming quite low-tech and uh, I started working with um, materials that I collected in the city um, and they were all re recycled materials. Um, also at that time I began, um, I, I also did another outdoor work uh, in upstate New York where I collected a lot of um, natural materials from um, an environment, a very rural environment um, and I, I did a whole series of works within these um, kind of secluded enclosures. Can you hear me? Way? Am, I, am I talking into the microphone well <laughs> enough? Um, anyway, so that was another early kind of outdoor work. Uh, when I returned to Australia in 1993, um, I continued working with recycled materials. Um, the the works with seeds and, and natural matter um, probably happened more in probably uh, in 2000. Um, I started working a lot with um, organic materials. 
Um, and I think the move towards those materials was prompted by the fact that um, I was highly sensitive to, to doing stuff um, with, with toxic materials and I, I was fed up with wearing respirators and goggles and I actually wanted to immerse myself in materials that I actually enjoyed working with, things that were pleasurable to smell and to, to feel and, um, you know, that was an important um, decision for me to, to use materials that, that were pleasurable to actually work with. Um, but also materials that were evocative of, of the place that I, um, and the site. Um, so uh, many of the early materials were very much linked to, um, you know, the physical site of, of you know, for example, um, the work strata that was out in McClellan Gallery. I used sands that um, were from a local sand quarry. Um, so many of those natural materials were um, sourced from nearby or collected from, from those immediate environments. Um, another example would be um, a piece I did out at H Heidi Gallery um, back in 2008, I think it was. Um, I created a work called Dermata's Garden and I spent six months um, collecting um, uh, uh, botanical material from the landscape and I, that was a seasonal activity where I would go out um, maybe once a month and, and really observe the landscape and collect materials from that landscape and I would kind of create little mounds around my studio and um, slowly a, a, an artwork would evolve out of those collected materials. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these, um, a lot of the installations where I've worked out in the landscape have been, in a sense, um, kind of exploratory. You know, I've gone into the landscape and I've observed it over, you know, a period of time. It's been a seasonal thing. I've got to understand and know the landscape. And I've created these kind of large abstract kind of murals on the floor, in a sense, um, which you know, grow and emerge over time and I actually get to understand my materials through the activity of, of being in the landscape. Um, the other important thing for me, um, the activity of being in the landscape is, is kind of like meditation. Um, I, I'm also a very passionate um, walker. I walk every day and um, more than anything I really love observing people's gardens um, and a more recent artwork um, which you might be familiar with uh, was the Fizzit Garden that I created at the, um, at the NGV. So um, that one's in the magazine in the, in the yes, centre? Yeah, yeah, that, that was, um, I, I actually created a whole series of indoor gardens and um, I think the, the initial impetus for, for those gardens was just walking every day, um, observing a lot of the, the gardens in um, South Yarra at where I was living at the time. And I was quite inspired by many of um, the gardens which, um, I mean, I'd say, you know, a lot of um, Italians and Greek families um, lived in a lot of the houses around where I was living at the time and I would look at, um, you know, what they were growing in the garden and I was quite inspired by the fact that 
there'd often be an olive tree, there'd be citrus trees growing, there'd be um, tomatoes growing out of um, recycled pots and kind of crazy assemblages of, you know, um, old tins, tomato tins, um, bottles, and there was this kind of um, do-it-yourself do do it kind of aesthetic of, you know, just gathering all your old pots and things and recycling them and, and growing things out of them. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of was a bit of an initial impetus um, to, to that work. As well as um, at the time my daughter was, um, she, she had just started school and there was a big emphasis at that time on, um, you know, kids being very involved with kitchen gardens. Um, I think every every school, every junior school is involved with um, kids doing worm farms and composting and um, learning about, you know, veggies, veggie patches. So yeah. there's a bit of a grassroots thing going on in the community where people are very involved with, um, you know, in involved with growing foods and, and kitchen gardens. And yeah. I think that was very important as, as a you know, the germ of the idea for those, those indoor gardens. Mm -hmm. um, and how did you find working with a garden indoors? You know, how, what was it like to actually design that and, and keep, you know, make sure that it, it kept growing and it kept staying alive? And Well, that, that was quite challenging, actually. Um, I had to um, talk to a lot of experts. In fact, uh, the first indoor garden I created was at um, the Trobe University and there was a chap who worked in the, um, he, he actually looked after the greenhouses at La Trobe University and um, he did a whole lot of experiments with me and um, we got plants and we actually put them in a little um, refrigerator <laughs> and um, we, we basically found out how long they would survive in an indoor environment. And from that exercise, we, he figured out all these lights, which had enough um, UV to, to create growth within mm. plants. Um, but where I've, I initially situated these um, plants was in front of a large window, and it was north facing. So there was enough light to, as well as these additional lights, to, to create growth in the plants. But that, that first work I created was really a bit of a kind of wild experiment. Um, and, you know, I wasn't quite sure if it was going to work or not. Um, and that was part of the excitement of doing that piece. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but I, it, it actually required quite a bit of maintenance as well. Um, I, I had to go out, out to the gallery every oh, few days. <laughs> It was probably every three to four days to actually tend my garden, right. which in a sense was quite therapeutic as and, well. And I think you said you had some backup plants as well waiting in the Yeah, end. I yeah. actually had plants on rotation, so if things died, I would replace them. Um, and I was very lucky working at um, La Trobe because there was a fantastic Indigenous garden there which just specialised in edible um, Aboriginal, well, Indigenous plants. And um, so I basically had that as a great resource. Um, so I had things like um, oh, vanilla lilies, chocolate lilies, green hoods, um, a lot of um, Australian plants with edible tubers. Um, so, yeah, and there was the guy who worked at that 
um, nursery was very knowledgeable. So, um, in fact, I had a lot of great experts at the tribe to, to give me information oh, on what I needed. Yeah. And there's a really interesting relationship between your work which features grids and your work which features living plants, and sometimes that crosses over, like in Karuk Karuk's mm. garden. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to use the grid and how that relates to your work involving gardens? Yeah, um, I think I've been interested in using grids because in a sense it's a way of controlling nature that is kind of a bit wild and unruly. Um, when I think in particular about a piece called um, Colourfield, which was a collection of um, weeds that um, I collected from all, all different places around Melbourne, which were infested with um, quite bad weeds. Um, basically, um, yeah, I, I, I collected them, um, dried them, and then I put them into this grid form. Um, but what I what I was interested in with, with um, the weeds, um, basically uh, the ones that I collected were initially brought to Australia during colonial times, and um, they they were kind of prized because they were quite beautiful plants. But also um, they were they claimed that they would grow profusely and in fact these plants grew so profusely that they've become really quite detrimental um, weeds um, to natural kind of Australian habitats. So, um, you know, by placing a grid over these weeds it's kind of quite contradictory because, you know, the, these weeds are, are, you know, really quite toxic to native habitats yet when they were brought to Australia, that there was so much enthusiasm and excitement about having them. Um, you know, so, so there's this kind of play between the work. It's kind of has this celebratory kind of feel to it, yet, you know, these are weeds which are really quite noxious to the environment. Mm -hmm. So I've overlaid the work with this, this kind of colour... The work is called Colour Field. So it's got this kind of you know, optimism and, and excitement associated with colourfield painting, yet there's, you know, the, the flip side where, you know, these are toxic plants, it's kind of quite dystopic as well. Yeah. Um, so the grid is interesting in, in that work in that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an overlay, it's, it's like trying to control these unruly weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so we... it's kind of a play between those two ideas. Yes. I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And with Karuk Karuk's garden, you, mm. you basically planted a garden in a grid format, yeah. but then it took off and got a life of its own. That's true. That's become a bit unruly too. <laughs> in fact, I've got to go back there every so often and kind of help them kind of tame it a bit. Right. <laughs> and that's probably inevitable. I mean, mm. when you're working with plants, you can never quite predict what they're going to that's do true. and that's part of the... Yeah the whole yeah, work yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with Karakarook's garden I was kind of interested in putting it into a grid formation because um, I wanted it to relate to kind of abstraction and modernism and in a sense um, you know modernism has you know is, is quite central to, to the Heidi kind of site mm. um, because I mean that's that's where Australian modern modernism kind of has evolved 
from. Mm. And also very, that, that garden is a counterpoint to the, um, the, the more European-inspired kitchen gardens at, at Heidi. Um, the Karakura garden is full of Indigenous um, plants. So it's, yeah. it's an Aboriginal kitchen garden in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, I think we've probably covered all the, the questions I had here. Did anyone have any questions for Lauren? Or any comments? Okay. Well, I think, I think we're done then. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming and um, really appreciate um, the opportunity to present this work and to talk to Lauren about her work. So thank you. Thank you.